I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Roger, welcome back. Great to be speaking with you. Yes, always glad to be here. So, pretty fun, in my opinion, fun topic for us to start off on is on November 30th of last year, ChatGPT was launched, dropped, however you want to phrase it. I guess technically it's beta, but we're hearing and seeing so much about ChatGPT in the cyber world, but then also probably just in our personal lives. So I guess without further ado, Roger, what is it and how does it work to start? And then we'll get into some other meteor questions as we go along. Sure. ChatGPT is a publicly available artificial intelligence AI, probably first or second generation. I forget whether it's first or second generation that is really kind of demonstrating the power of what it can do and that you have this engine that can mop up all this content across the internet and then can, you know, do mostly textual things. You know, it can write articles, it can code, it can write website code. It's interesting in that. And let me say, when I initially heard about this chat GPT, you know, initially I thought it was going to be this another overwrought AI article on AI that everybody was talking about. But it turns out this really is probably the first kind of killer app. It's not perfect. It's not like, oh my God, human beings are going away, but it is the first big step. It is like the first step on the moon first man on the moon with the first step and that it's good enough to really kind of scare you into how good AI is going to be. You know, I wrote an article uh, when it first kind of got announced that it was released in public saying, I'm not scared of chat GPT. I'm scared of, you know, chat GPT's sons and grandsons. And that's still true. But what chat GPT can do is pretty incredible. Lots of people have been tested in lots of different ways. I mean, you know, one way somebody, you know, would test is like, well, write me an article that's pro-Trump. Write me an article that's con-Trump or pro-Biden, con-Biden. And you'd be amazed by what it can come up with. Like the arguments are really, really kind of good because what it's done is, is search the internet, found all kinds of articles like that, categorized them, and it's able to kind of spit them back out at you. Or you know, you could say something like, write me a paper about aardvarks. <laughs> and you wouldn't get this fantastic paper on aardvarks, but what it does return is pretty darn good. I even recently was making a website, creating text for a new website to sell NFTs. And I wrote the text up and I sent it to my web programmer and a couple other people to review. And my brother said, hey, go ask ChatGPT to write you text about a website that's going to sell, you know, NFTs. I was amazed by the text that it brought back. It was as good as what I wrote or possibly better. Or what I really left with thinking was I should have done that first and then I could have improved upon it. And maybe that's the way most people are seeing chat GPT is that, you know, what it's giving you isn't fantastic necessarily, but it's good enough. And then sometimes it's scarily good. 
And you know, it's so good that Microsoft's investing $10 billion in it <laughs> and going to integrate it in Bing and Microsoft Office. I mean, that certainly means something. Some people think it means goodbye to the traditional Google query where you go to Google or Bing or whatever and, and type in something. People go, why would you ever do that? Because the answers you're getting from chat GPT if you say, tell me about aardvarks or whatever it might be, tell me about 10 volt batteries, it's bringing back something immediate to you that you don't have to look at 20 different links and follow 20 different links. What it's displaying to you in the page is pretty darn good. It's like maybe a rough Wikipedia. So some people have said, okay, this is the end of search engines. And it may be the end of search engines as we know them. I've always thought it's been a bit crude that we go to a thing, that we have to go to a particular search engine, you know, Google or Bing or whatever, and then type in something, a query. It seems to me that we should be able to just, in the context of what we're doing, if I'm watching TV, I could search there. If I'm listening to music, I could search there. Like the idea that you have to go to Google, google.com to do a search and get some information is kind of weird. I mean, it's really first generation. So chat GPT is showing you here's another step forward about what you can get. There certainly is a big fear that all these kids are going to be turning in essays for GPT. And there's already this entire defensive industry made up. There's people that are trying to modify chat GPT so it has invisible embedded markers that might indicate that it's coming from chat GPT. So if a kid hands in an essay from chat GPT, the instructor could run it through some type of engine and know that. And let me say there's there's lots of people creating companies. They literally have been creating these companies before you and I even heard of chat GPT that were just defensive companies so that people that get essays and writings and things like that, you know, that are possibly from chat GPT can find out whether it is. And let me say, I had a, a friend of mine, Lauren Kohnfelder, he's the guy that invented PKI. I was talking to him about it and he said, uh, and let me say, Lauren's one of the smartest guys I know, and he, and he thinks in a really smart, contrarian way, just really next level. But he said, if chat GPT, and, and let me say, I don't remember exactly what he said, but this is what I remember he said. He said, if chat GPT gives us really fantastic essays or something like that, is there any value in making kids learn how to write essays anymore? And I was like, what? No, of course, you know, to me, I'm thinking I'm as a writer that I am, I'm like, no, there's value in teaching somebody to go research about aardvarks and put all their arguments together in a way that, you know, someone can make an argument about how great aardvarks are or aren't or whatever. But he was saying, you know, it used to be that you had to really know a lot of math. And these days, you know, once you teach a kid how to add, subtract, multiply, divide, pretty much they can do everything else on a calculator or a computer. And you know, he said, maybe there's some value in teaching them how to do a long algebraic calculus equation. There may be some value in teaching them that once and how it does it, but then the tool does the rest. So his question was, and it's a fantastic question, I think it's very thought-provoking, is, you know, if chat GPT and what comes after it is really, 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 really good at writing essays, is there really value? Is that what we should be teaching our kids to, quote unquote, waste time on? And again, I, I fall into the bucket. Yeah, there's all these things you're learning, you know, from having to research and put your thoughts together and blah, 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 blah. But maybe not. Maybe that's old school thinking. And as another example, my son, 
works at a, a fairly big company where he's a coder and he's the head of a coding team at a really large company that's in the top 25 companies on the internet. And he said that his CEO came to his whole company and said, I want y'all to go use chat GPT to do coding. So the, the, the owner, the CEO of the company, really smart guy, billionaire guy, said, I want you to go use chat GPT to write some coding and tell me how well you think it did or not. I thought it was a really brilliant assignment, right? Because the CEO was telling people, go learn about chat GPT, see what it is, see what it isn't. And my son, who is the manager of developers and has, I don't know, 20 years, if not more, of development experience, said what came back from chat GPT was really fantastic looking. He thinks in less than, you know, less than five or 10 years, we're not going to have human beings coding anything. Yeah, that was startling to me. And let me say, again, brilliant for the company CEO to go, go learn it so he and his employees could benefit from the experience of interacting with it. My experience with ChatGPT has been, I've been astounded, but I didn't think anything was fantastic. I didn't think essays are going away. I didn't think that they, you know, I, I think if you ask AI to do art, let me say I've got my brother, I've got a twin brother, Richard, that's been experimenting with AI and doing art. And he's been bringing back some really incredible pieces of art that are really astounding looking. So I've been getting a really hard look into this, what is AI? And let me say, up until chat GPT, I had poo-pooed AI because so many people, oh, we got AI, we got, you know, we've got machine language, machine learn, machine learning, and we have AI. And what I've seen has never been impressive. Like, I'm so tired of computer security companies going, oh, we've got AI, our thing uses AI. We can find malware with AI. We can find vulnerability code with AI. And I just want to laugh because every single thing that these computer security vendors were showing me could have been done with an if-then statement. And let me say to my listeners, I don't care so much about how you did something, but I care about what you do. And what I mean by that is if you claim that you can detect every bit of malware that's out there, and let me say no product can, but if you were to claim, oh, we can detect all hacking and all malware, I don't care how you did it, that you did or didn't use AI, I don't care. I care about the end result. And if you're a listener of mine, you should care about the end result and not how they got to the end result. I mean, AI is just a means to an end in computer security. And I do think that it is certainly showing what can be done. I forget whether it's first or second generation AI, but I got to say what it's been able to do and it's, you know, in just its first or second generation is really impressive. I think this is absolutely a paradigm shift in the world, like there was before chat GPT and now what we have after. This is going to change everything. Like, I don't think NFTs and the metaverse and cryptocurrencies are the thing that changed the world recently, although they did, but not as much as chat GPT. I think chat GPT changed the world in many, many ways forevermore. It's a paradigm shift. We're going to have a billion companies come out of AI now a billion different products, lots of new billionaires, lots of new companies you've never heard of that are all of a sudden going to be household names like Microsoft, Google, and Bing, and you know stuff like that. ChatGPT changed the world because it showed what AI could do, saying that it, it's going to change the world forevermore. 
is being hyperbole. I think saying that cryptocurrencies were going to change the world was hyperbole. I think NFTs are, you know, overhyped. I don't think what chat GPT and AI is getting ready to do, you know, I think what chat GPT and AI is getting ready to do is going to change the world forevermore. There was a world before chat GPT, AI, and after, because it's just a paradigm shift. But lastly, what I want to say, and I know I just keep talking and talking and running on as I always do, but you know, some people are really fearful that you can write malware with chat GPT. You can write phishing emails with chat GPT. And people are like, oh my God, this means you're going to have all this malware and new phishing. We've already got so much malware. There's a hundred million new malware programs this year alone. There are billions of phishing emails every day and they're being quite successful. I don't think chat GPT and AI is going to change that equation that much. It will. I think AI and chat GPT-like engines are going to make malware and are going to make more phishing attacks, and, the, and they're going to make them so that they're more successful. But they're already incredibly successful. So I don't fear them on the attacks so much, at least on phishing attacks and malware writing attacks, because we've already got so much of it. You know, so what if they add another couple tens of thousands or another million phishing email, another different types of phishing emails or another million malware programs? We've already got 100 million of them every day already. It's already pretty bad. So I'm not scared that chat GPT and AI is going to really increase the success odds of phishing and malware because it's already pretty successful. And I do think, though, that ultimately... All hacking and malware will be done by AI-driven bots that attack devices and networks. And all of the defenses, or most of the defenses, are going to be AI-driven bots that fight against the bad guys. It's going to be good guy bot versus bad guy bot, and the best AI algorithm wins. I think that is the future of computer security 10 years from now. And you're always going to have human beings in it for the stuff that the bots can't do. Again, I think we're in a new paradigm shift that has been forever changed. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of people becoming new billionaires that figure out how to utilize it for both good and bad. Certainly is an interesting time to experience all of this. And I guess I have two thoughts based on what you just shared. The first thought as far as like AI goes in general with art, I know that there were a lot of artists that were staging a mass online protest against AI image generators like the Lenza app and, and things like that. But I, I know there were also concerns about intellectual property with that app specifically and who owns the images that are of you, but you know, you didn't create them. So I'm wondering with chat, not that you necessarily know the answer to this, but with chat GPT. Who owns what it writes? Like, if you're prompting it, do you own it? And then also, the other question I'm I'm thinking of is cause nothing's free, right? Everyone was all up in arms about you know Facebook and and taking your personal data, not realizing that we're the product. But what does ChatGPT get in exchange for writing everything for you? Well, I mean, at the very least, they're getting people's queries and what people are doing and what people like. I mean, but, all, you know, it, it all depends on the terms of service, right? Like what chat GPT is getting today is probably going to be different than what chat GPT is getting in, in a year as Microsoft invests $10 billion in it. Every single thing you said, Hillary, all of those questions are really, really good. And we don't know the answers to them. You know, there's going to have to be 
new case law, you know, even like with NFTs, when people were selling images, copyrighted images they didn't own, it took a while for people to realize, oh, that NFT isn't really conveying any rights. You know, a lot of that is illegal. These NFTs are illegal. But, you know, like if I put a public domain image in chat GPT, well, then it's free and mine to use, but it may also be anybody, depending on the terms of service. And I haven't read the chat GPT terms of service. It could be anybody's you know, property. It could not be yours. I mean, I think a lot of the, you know, like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram a long time ago, they used to say whatever content you create is ours. Yeah. Right. It wasn't even yours, even though you created it. So I, I think we're on the cusp of a new technology and the law is going to be slow to respond. We're all learning and, and, and muddling through it. You know, as I'm, I was making these new NFTs that I'm, I'm planning to sell, it was kind of funny. I, I was calling an insurance company to get liability insurance, just, you know, the whole NFT. God knows it's full of all kinds of scams and pranks and that sort of stuff. So I thought, well, maybe I'll get some liability insurance. And I called up a bunch of insurance companies and they have no idea how to even classify what an NFT is. They're like, is it art? I said, it is. I couldn't get insurance. I ultimately could not buy liability insurance because the insurance industry, even after NFTs being around for two or three years or whatever it is, they don't even know how to classify it to give me a policy so that I can sell it and have some liability insurance. If I was to sell art in a frame, I could get liability insurance. Yeah. I was like, there's nothing to burn up here. But it was interesting talking to the insurance agents and the stuff. The questions they were asking me was just hilarious, you know? Like, they're like, are you going to have guns in the place where these NFTs are? I'm like, it's online. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, I said it's a joke. There could be some online digital guns. And I'm yeah. like, oh, we got to go talk to the person. I thought I shouldn't have said that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, the same thing. You bring up a really good point. I don't know if I can add anything to it other than to say that we're going to have to learn what it all means. And what it means today is not what it's going to mean 10 years from now because the law is going to evolve. Terms of service are going to evolve. And we're all sitting in newness right now. And typically, you know, money flocks to things. And that means that, you know, when the money flocks to it, those people that have the money end up somehow figuring out how they can get more of the money. That's right. They do. They're so good at that. Just out of curiosity, I haven't used chat GPT yet. And I just went to it to see if I could maybe read a terms of service, whatever. And it doesn't offer anything like that. But curious, interestingly enough, rather, it says chat GPT is at capacity right now. So I can't even use it. What a bummer. <laughs> but that's pretty wild. I wonder what capacity is for them. But they're at it right now. So, you know, and it's funny, my brother tried a con Trump, you know, give me an essay about why I shouldn't vote for Trump for president. And it spit out this page or two. Then he said, well, give me an essay about why I should vote for Trump. You know, these are very contentious issues, but he just wanted to see what it would say. And they said, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to give opinions on presidents or something like that. Oh, he was like, wait a minute, you just gave me a whole page, Whoa. you know, on the con one. And it wouldn't give him any on the pro. We're like, OK, that's kind of a bug. And he, he thought it was just interesting. My brother was just trying playing around with AI engines, creating art. And he wanted to put a picture of somebody on a toilet. And it literally... It told him, you cannot make a picture of somebody on a toilet. He was trying different ways. And it, it, the engine eventually told him, if you continue to try to make images of somebody on a toilet, we will permanently block you forever. Oh, wow. Well, tell that to the Roomba that we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roomba <laughs> will do it for you, brother. <laughs> yeah. And, and my brother was speculating, maybe they're trying to position the engine, the AI engine he was using to sell it to Disney or something. And they didn't oh, want yeah. a bunch of on there yeah. but it, you know he it, it was it was not 
it was not going to show anybody's you know private parts or poop. It was just going to show someone <laughs> sitting on a toilet. You can show somebody sitting on a toilet in a PG movie, you know, as yeah. long as you're not showing things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's wild that it's just all evolving and what's allowed and what's not allowed. Even my NFTs. I was trying to create some NFTs at one point. They went, oh, you can't use this word. Mm. And this word is a kind of a common word, but they're like, it's a reserved word. I'm like, can you show me the policy that shows it? Nope. No policy. Just randomly said I couldn't use some word that I wanted to use. And I was like, okay, okay. Wow. It is what it is. We're muddling through the best we can. We certainly are. And speaking of muddling through the best we can, I read an article that you wrote for the Know Before blog about password managers and how they can be hacked lots of ways. And then, yes, why you should still use them. So I thought that was a good second topic for us today. And just quickly before I turn it over to you, Roger, I was thinking maybe we should instead purchase a book on Amazon that's called Password Book with Tabs, the Internet Address and Password Organizer Logbook. <laughs> I saw that you posted about that on LinkedIn, about how uh, every time you feel good about the books you've sold, you remember that this is just flying off the shelves, this Internet Password Logbook. So, <laughs> Hillary, you are hilarious. Yeah, Hillary's <laughs> talking about uh, you know, I just recently published a third edition of my data-driven computer defense book, and I look at the sales in Amazon. You know, in the first couple of days, I got to say, it's nothing's more humbling than when you you find out even on your best day you're ranked like sixteen thousandth. <laughs> but you know, give give it time, you'll be ranked two millionth, and you wish you were ranked sixteen thousandth. But I finally I was like, okay, I'm selling. I'm the 175th best cybersecurity book today. Let me go. I said, would you like to see the top ten or the top fifty? And I'm like, sure. And at least three of them were books where you write your password. <laughs> uh, so three different books that are blank, where all they're, they're just blank books. You know, you could write them down on a piece of paper, any book, but they're called password books and you write your passwords in them. There's three of them that are long-term outselling all of my books. So sometimes I think maybe I try too hard <laughs> when I write and try to educate people, not to mention when you're trying to tell people, don't write down your password. So getting back to password managers, I believe and know before believes that everybody should use a password manager. You should use phishing resistant multi-factor authentication when you can to protect valuable data and systems. But there's many systems that don't take anything but passwords. If you use a password, we think you should use a good password manager. Well, that's been my advice for a long time. And I've written lots of papers about it and an ebook for know before on it and stuff. But a couple of weeks ago, LastPass, which is one of the more popular password manager vendors out there, either number one or number two most popular one out there, got hacked for the seventh time. And although the hackers didn't get people's plain text passwords, it got people's encrypted passwords that if you had a weak master password and a weak master password, let's say, that protects all the other passwords would be something like 12 characters or less. Well, you should you need to go change your passwords, all the passwords you stored in the password manager and your master password, or maybe you use multi-factor authentication to protect your password manager. But a lot of people were like, this is the seventh time LastPass has been hacked. This and a lot of people were like, you should not use password managers. You can't trust them. You can't trust password managers. And I wrote an article and I'm actually giving a webinar soon that on password managers that go, hey, even though they can be hacked you should still use them. The primary risk that password managers put down, there's two primary risks. If you don't use a password manager, you're going to create and use weak passwords, and you're going to create and use weak passwords that are either identical 
are nearly identical across multiple websites. The average person has three to seven passwords that they share across over 170 different websites. And that risk, the risk of you using weak passwords and the risk of you sharing passwords across unrelated sites and services, those two risks far outweigh the risk of all your passwords being compromised at once if you use a password manager. Yes, a password manager can be hacked. Yes, your password manager can be attacked, but the risk that using a password manager, the risk that they offset for everybody far outweighs the risk of somebody using the password manager against you. So yes, they can be. So I wrote, I actually wrote a, a, a column called, yes, password managers can be attacked, but you should still use them. And let me say that again, you should use, you know, what we recommend is you should use multi-factor phishing resistant multi-factor authentication where you can, and if not use a password manager, because password managers can create long, perfectly random passwords that are different for every website, and you don't need to remember them. You just use the password manager program to insert them for you when you need to log on in. And they are long and complex and unguessable and uncrackable, you know, and yes, your password manager or your password manager vendor can be attacked or hacked. But, you know, I tell people, Every day we use the most hacked and attacked programs. Every day your operating system has more holes in it than your password manager. Your operating system, your email client, and your browser are fully full of holes and they're successfully hacked and attacked every month and you still use them without even thinking about it. The most attacked password manager last pass in the world has been attacked seven times and you're ready to throw it away. You've got, you know, Microsoft announced a hundred bugs Today in Patch Tuesday, the, the last Patch Tuesday, they announced over 100 bugs. <laughs> you know, there was over like 20 or 30 in Edge and 20 or 30 in Windows, and we're still using it. And Google has 20, 30, 50 bugs a month. I mean, come on. My thing is, as long as the password manager vendor truly cares about security, and when a bug is found, they patch it and close it, that's good enough for me to say that I would use it. As long as they truly care about security, and that when a bug is announced, that they quickly close it and auto patch it to everybody that has the program. That's really what I'm looking for. And you should use a password manager instead of a book where you write down your passwords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's a really good synopsis and wrap up for this conversation, Roger, for this week. So I appreciate you coming on and speaking to me about all things chat GPT and then uh, filling us in on why we should all still be using password managers, especially those that can admit when they've uh, been wronged or what have you. So thank you so much, Roger. I'm looking forward to next time. Thank you, Hillary. And thanks everybody for listening in. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering.